So welcome to the Brand Tune podcast, Emily and Justin. Could you just let me know a little bit about your backgrounds before we get stuck into this? Sure. Thank you so much for having us, Shereen. Mm -hmm. So my background, my career began in journalism. So I was a journalist for eight and a half years, grew up in the Southwest United States in Arizona. Um, and yeah, started my journalism career as a reporter and became a publisher and editor and of local weekly com community magazines. So in that work really grew an appreciation for story. I was always a reader. So that was always part of my my fascination and enjoyment of life, but learned how to interview and how to tell stories and how to hit deadlines and just really how language conveyed uh, the soul and spirit of people and also communities. And so that was really my beginning. And then um, did some PR and, um, and learned a lot more in that process about how businesses work and uh, how to position them. And then began doing corporate communications, went out on my own, also did some ghost writing. So always writing, that was always the, the red thread through my life. Um, have a, I have a master's in nonfiction writing. And then I um, was a VP of corporate communication for a human behavioral research company, a global company that creates and provides assessments to the world. So really got to dive into human behavior and psychology through that work and then sort of marry the um, art of conveying um, an individual and an organization's soul and spirit through language. And, and, and that's probably the moment that I met Justin and he was doing some brand consulting and I'll let him tell his story, but really those are the foundations for Root and River and all of that, um, all that experience I bring into to my work every day. Great. Yeah, Shereen, thank you for having, having us on. Uh, my, my background started on a cattle ranch in Eastern Oregon. I grew up uh, around cows and, uh, and nature and uh, you know, learned entrepreneurism and hard work and all that growing up on a, on a ranch. And um, there, so my, my cheesy, silly dad joke is that I've been in branding my whole life. You know, not a lot of people in branding actually have branded something like literally. <laughs> and uh, so I have had a, a, a very much a road less traveled, um, unconventional. I, 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 did, I did, well, I went to college. I dropped out three times and um, was a, became a father very young, barely 22 when my older son, Logan, was born. And so I just learned, um, I learned, I learned that I had the skill of communication. I did not know I had that necessarily, but you put yourself with your back against the wall and you got to provide for your family. You learn, you learn that what skills you actually have. And so I spent the first 10 years of my career in sales, working my way up to VP of sales of two different software companies. And in the early, like 2003, um, started a, my first agency with some other, some other guys. I was not a branding. That was not my role. I was the rainmaker. I was the deal getter. Um, but I sat in a lot of sessions and along the way in that, into the mid 2000s, we found out that one of our partners had been stealing from us. So we after we removed him, um, I took over the role of chief strategist and um, I got to meet the tennis player Andy Roddick once. And he told me that I asked him, when did you know you were going to be a tennis player? And he said, when my dad put a racket in my hand at four years old in Nebraska. So my racket in hand moment was that was doing that strategy work finally. And that led to a bunch of different 
iteratives and ventures. I have owned a couple of agencies. I've been the CMO of uh, a tech startup that was uh, all the way to a successful acquisition or an exit. Mm. Um, but then met Emily at a conference um, at, the, at the suggestion of a mutual friend um, that we meet. And there was a, a you know, where a, a, quite a bit of where Paul, where McCartney met Lennon you know, type of a situation. There was just, we just meshed immediately and conflicted. I mean, we, you know, like it wasn't, it was, it was iron, iron, it still is an iron sharpens iron relationship, but there were a couple of things that we realized early on is we had a similar uh, love of defiance, a similar love of breaking unconventional ways of doing things. Number two is we realized that branding as an industry was quite broken. It had, had been corrupted by uh, primarily agencies and PR people and brands that were using manipulation and fear and persuasion and, and oversaturation, gaslighting, propaganda to, mm -hmm. to get people to buy stuff they didn't really need. And then the third thing was, is that we, we knew that brands began at the soul. We just, both of us knew that somehow intrinsically, we arrived at that conclusion. And we basically said, what would happen if we taught everybody of all size, every kind of leader, that your brand is inside of you and your main job is to find it and express it. If you don't know what your brand is, go inward. If you don't know how to express it, um, go inward. <laughs> and when you do that, you, you become vibrant and authentic and sincere and ubiquitous in the world, um, whatever that world might be. Okay, so what are the pains that your customers have which um, gets them to look for you i mean what is it that they're actually really looking for when they come to you well they're drowning in um terrible marketing marketing advice or confusing marketing advice and i say marketing intentionally so there's so much information about what you should be doing how you should be marketing um and they're in this particular moment, we call our audience the defiers or a defier. So defier is usually hearing that advice, being inundated by it and feeling like it's not right. It's not the way that they, that there's something deeper and truer about the brand mm -hmm. that they want to really dig into and express. And they're feeling if they are, most cases, they already have a company. Um, we do work with startups, but most of our clients already have an entity or it's forming, it's formed. And their message also feels very off. It feels flat, it feels dull. It feels like they're trying to say something and it's not what they want to say. It's not powerful enough. It's not standing out enough or it's not reflecting, you know, what they really wanna do in the world. Um, and so they have this strong desire to wanna build something truer and deeper. And they also want to change their industry or change the world through their brand. That's the bigger, deeper picture for them. So they have all of this awareness and they're kind of disgusted by the options that are out there. They really tend to be, as Justin mentioned, manipulative or just tactically obsessed. So are they looking to rebrand? Do you rebrand them or is it just, you know, getting their the associations that they um, evoke in customers more sort yes, of Yes, yeah. Sometimes it's a rebrand. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there is a wholesale deconstruction of what their message and, you know, we don't do 
execution tactics. We don't do logos and websites, but we have strategic partners that do. And often mm -hmm. we work with those strategic partners in concert to, 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 to deliver an entirely new brand. Sometimes a renaming, that's another thing that comes up for us. Um, but uh, most of the time, if it's an established organization, we're really doing more of a reintroduction and we're helping them return to their root system, which is their beliefs, their principles, how they treat each other, their vision for the future, their mission in the world. We, we reconnect them to that. And then many of our clients, especially ones that have been in business for more than five to seven years, at least in the United States, they have this weird separation between cultures up here, missions over here, and brands over here. And they're not, they're, they're three separate pieces in the organization and they're treated like that. And we're saying, no, they're the same thing. They're just expressed in a different way. So a lot of our work is, well, wh who are we? You know, un uncovering that a lot of brands um, have uh, kind of a perpetual identity crisis, especially brands run by men. Um, they, they just don't know who they are. And so therefore they assume that marketing is going to help with their identity. Um, it doesn't. Uh, and then there's this, um, there's this connecting between like, okay, our, we, want, we want a vibrant culture, we want a great client ex customer experience, and we want to fulfill the needs of the business. Great, you can do all three. But to do that, you have to go inward, you have to have courage, you have to be consistent, you have to be willing for the long game. Uh, branding is not, branding is like making bourbon. It, it, it needs to, it needs to, you know, uh, ferment or, or distill properly, excuse me. Um, it's not quick. It's not fast. There's elements of it that are fast, but the overall aspect of introducing your brand to your world, to the world is a uh, longer uh, conversation, a longer game. Okay. So you need to provide something that customers actually want and value. How do you marry that? I mean, how much research do you help them to do to understand their customers? I understand that you need to look inwards, but you also need to be informed by the market and what's going on. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, so we we walk them always inward first, right? That's the foundational element. And then we quickly turn to the ideal audience. And that's our that's our approach to um, target market. We hate that term. No one wants to be a target and it's not really a market. It's a human being that you're ultimately making a connection with, mm -hmm. um, a group of human beings. So we look at the ideal audience, but we approach it from a psychographic standpoint. So who are the, the clients that have been the most fruitful for you in your business? Who are they as human beings? Who are they as people? So we'll take a deep dive into their qualities, into their characteristics, not necessarily demographics. Um, I mean, we may kind of cursory say, you know, if it's a very specific business, yes, they tend to be women or they tend to be men. But beyond that, we're really looking at, a, at who they are mm -hmm. from a more of a quality standpoint. And then we also have some exercises where we um, go into and develop a category for them. So basically it's trying to understand who these people are and what they are most interested in, in terms of a bigger idea. That is not necessarily the product or service that the company is offering, but it's a tangential or almost an umbrella idea. And we help our clients define their category so they can continue to build that relationship with the ideal audience 
and craft their brand experience. And that's another way we really look at audiences through brand experience. We overlay the brand, the foundational brand pillars that we uncover with the audience. And then in an ongoing engagement, help them design specific brand experiences that appeal to and speak to that audience. What if they're startups and have no customers? Uh, where should somebody in that situation begin with their brand? Yeah, great question. It's the same process um, in the sense that we actually had a root session, which is our flagship experience. It's an all day brand immersion with a startup yesterday that's um, in the mortgage business. And um, these entrepreneurs, these founders um, don't come to their new idea or their new venture with a blank slate. They bring with them an awareness of like sometimes over several years of that moment where they're like, you know what we ought to do? We should make a company that sells X uh, thing to Y people. Mm -hmm. And they have a sense of who they want to attract in that process, especially because we're doing psycho psychographic profiling. Um, and I think, I think the other aspect of this is, is, is Shereen, is more almost philosophical, which is um, we don't, we've kind of follow the same principles or philosophy as Apple and Patagonia and Southwest Airlines, those three, there's many that do this. They don't do market research. They survey, they may survey their customers, but they don't do market research. They don't go out and go, well, here's what the market needs. Because as the former CEO of Southwest Airlines pointed out, if they would have done that, people would have, they wanted, people wanted, you know, chicken salad on the flight <laughs> instead of peanuts um, for Southwest Airlines. Um, and Patagonia too, Yvonne Chouinard said, we, I, we just encourage people to make things in the organization, in the company that they would buy. Um, so there is a almost mystical aspect to this that is born in identity is you, we know what change we want to make in the world. We know who we are. Um, and branding is much more the express, expression of who you are than it is coming up with something that people want to hear. Um, in fact, most of our clients almost all of them, the way that we do their messaging is something they really want to say. It's not necessarily what their audience is raising their hand saying, I need that. Um, now, it's not completely dissociated. We're not, you know, if, if it's a, a grocery company, we're not going to have them be selling, you know, car insurance. Uh, there's product alignment. But spiritually, um, it's about you, the brand being who they are and connecting with real people in meaningful, authentic ways. Sure, it's important to have your point of view, um, but what if nobody resonates with it? I mean, say you, you believe something has to happen um, in your industry, but you know, customers don't resonate with it. I mean, what do you do to make sure that there is a match between what you want to do and what people are interested in? In most cases, the clients we work with, they've already they already have a proof of concept, um, and so, I mean, and I would say too, as an entrepreneur myself, that a lot so much of entrepreneurial work is trial and error, and you know, in some cases, when we're working with a client and we're uncovering a message and they're going out and they're using it in the world, and like that ah, feels off, like there's something that's not resonating, or people are confused about this, we just workshop it again and hone it a little bit more. So we're, we see branding as iterative, as an organic process that needs to like be checked on. 
but the amount of tinkering that we do is pretty is limited because we go so deeply in extracting that message. Uh, and again, our defier, our ideal audience, they have come to a point where they're usually uh, mid-career, 15, 20 years in, and they've, in a lot of cases, stepped out of a corporate environment and have used their experience to, and their conviction, those two things have kind of come to a head in their lives to create this third way that they have seen in the market. And so... Our idea or our role is not to necessarily hone their idea, it's to hone the message that they have that they're that they're wanting to share. And if it doesn't resonate, we just we go back to work on it and we 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 want to understand better, you know, how they're expressing it. Maybe we're not quite at that core idea yet, and we need to to go a little bit deeper. Um, what do you think about the Ehrenberg Bass Institute's uh, research, their evidence-based research, which effectively uh, emphasizes the importance of distinctiveness? Because when they study brands, the big brands, you know, um, once they've been copied and their differentiation diminishes, mm -hmm. all that's left is how you are distinctively recognized in the market, you know, by your name, your logo, your, your visual identity, but also some sort of associations remain, you know. Um, I'm just wondering <clears throat> how you marry that with, with all this um, more purpose-led, meaningful branding approach. Yeah, don't, I don't think they're separate. Um, it goes back to kind of that was your question before, which is, well, what if the market doesn't resonate? Well, there's an element of, let's call it faith. I don't mean that as a religious word, that if we're convicted in something and we articulate it properly, there are people that are looking for that. Um, we often say your audience isn't who you're looking for. Your audience is who's looking for you. That yeah. takes some conviction and courage to do that. As it relates to being distinct and that research around, um, you know, what makes a brand enduring, there's, there's two kind of flaws in the thinking. One is, is that top of mind is, um, uh, top of mind is a high level indicator of relevance. And it is not. Um, there's, there's not a lot of evidence that shows that if someone is shopping, that top of mind is the thing that motivates them to do something. What motivates them is much more word of mouth, social media, what their friends say, that type of thing. So what that means then is the second part of this is, is that all brands and their audiences are relationships. They have the same traits as any human relationship. They run on trust, they run on vulnerability, they run on consistency. And so, but you were, you're, very, you're very spot on with the fact that a lot of brands get copied, their product gets copied, their methodology gets copied. Some brands become so dominant that no one really can compete with them like Google or Amazon. But many brands have a healthy competitor. Samsung has Apple, Lyft has, has Uber, Nike has Under Armour as examples. And in that, what, you, what really makes you distinctive isn't your product offering, it's your story. And your story is made up of your purpose. That's part of your story. If you don't have a purpose, you don't really have a story. Um, How to communicate your story, I mean, on a day-to-day -day level, if say you're doing social media, going about your business? How do you actually communicate your story? 
Well, this is where we see the overlap between the deep work that we do and then how you tell your story every day. So when you have a set, for example, of five core beliefs and standards that are like short mantra like statements, those become the underpinnings of the brand as it's spoken, as it's told, as the storytelling. For example, at Root and River, we believe in beauty and the way that we practice that is to create every day. So I might post something about how we were in a root session yesterday and like I was, I was creating art in the room as we walked through the process of intrinsic branding. Or I might tell a story about um, another client who's um, has had that experience and was inspired to begin painting um, and, and never had done that before. Um, we blend language and art in, in what we do. We don't do design, but art is a part of the process to, to make sure that the the participants stay very creative and their creative mind. So all of this is to say is that you use the foundational elements of the brand to tell stories, to frame stories. I think Nike does this extraordinarily well. Uh, they have a set of corporate beliefs and then their advertising and the campaigns that they run, the athletes they work with themselves embody a lot of those ideals. And they don't, they don't run ads about the quality of their products. They run ads about who they are and what those stories are and how the people that they, their spokespeople embody those. And so I think that's a great example of telling stories. Southwest well, Airlines so, also- So that's sort of advertising at brand level or promoting the brand. But then what about when you're trying to make sales? You know, the, the well, communications will be different in that case. Um, sometimes that's true. Um, it depends on the business model and the funnel, like where, where does where does the business yeah. come through? Um, and that's very dependent on the business model. So there's not there's not a universal lead generation methodology, but there is a universal set of brand principles. And that's where it, whatever your medium is, because we're 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 tactically agnostic. We don't really care what medium you use as long as it it works and it's not unethical. Hmm. And so. You could take any brand that and and say you know to your question about how they tell their story mm. advertising is just another way when you do it right to tell a story as as em said nike is brilliant at this so you go back and look at some of their original print ads they're some of the most brilliant writing and visuals um red wing boots company stetson hats these are brand walt disney or you know, disney brand they've been telling stories through advertising their entire life the second is on social media, and that's where we get into faces and names. You know, show the faces and names of your leaders, your employees, your customers, your partners, um, and because every, every single human that touches your brand has a story. And the third is there's a space in here for for effective ethical PR as well. Is is media outlets are looking for stories. They don't, most media outlets don't have enough reporters now because the business model has shifted so dramatically. So they have, there's this demand for story. Unfortunately, that demand for story is often um, uh, reacted to with a, a, a deluge of um, pitch pitches and stuff that are not stories. They're just people trying to get free publicity. But if you have a compelling story somebody will, will somebody in the media will want to tell that story so that's where story comes out of brand and it touches all three of the those primary forms of marketing email marketing comes into there as well some paid search some uh digital advertising 
all of it can yeah. be, all of those can be instruments of storytelling. If you know what your story is and you have the courage to tell it. Yeah, I, I often wonder actually, because it's quite uh, complicated for startups to get their branding in place and all this story and what are they all about. I often wonder why it can't be separated because on the one hand, you need a name, a logo, visual designs by which you're gonna be recognized. And does that really need to be so closely entwined with what your point of view is about your industry, what your values are, what you want to do? Could they not be kind of separated so that you could do your visual identity branding, get your name, and then go to people like you to sort out the other stuff? I mean, to kick off, you certainly can, and there, and that's why you know startups oftentimes will do, will do that. But what we have found is that eventually, um, when you're talking about creating an enduring brand, eventually someone along the line, whether that's a customer, uh, that's a prospect, that's one another, partners, um, particularly when a smaller startup is starting to scale and they want to hire. And they're like, well, what are we about, right? We have to have these guardrails about our culture and who we are. And that oh, is not sure. gonna, no, yeah, they're I, not going to be part that. of brand. So I think, I think, you know, they can be separate for a little while, but at some point there comes a critical point where weaving the, the visual and the, the mark into and making it connect to who the brand is and what the brand represents that comes to a point where they need to be woven together. So we, in our philosophy, we believe it's the most efficient ways to do that at the outset. And any designer worth their salt is going to say, okay, you want a brand, you want a color, you want a mark, great. What are you about? Where does this come from? Let me understand who you are as people. That's where they did. That's where they design from. And so for, for us and our philosophy, it seems really organic to build it that way. And so it's, in alignment from the beginning, which will save you time, energy, and effort later on down the road. Um, but they certainly well, can't. I've often that. actually not found any real close connection between the brand, you know, what what my beliefs have been and what the designs have ended up being. I mean, probably 10 different designers would have created a different visual identity based on what I was all about. So I, I just think because IP is so important to things like your name, your visual, uh, your logo, and you, those are effectively what people sell when they sell their brand. They sell their trademarks with their name, their logo, and so on. What they're all about obviously determines how successful they're gonna be, whether they're gonna get lift off in the market. But those things are not, tangibles that you sell except insofar as people associate you with your philosophy if you like the brand's philosophy so I just uh, would love a way to separate these these so that you know people could really get strong IP rights when you know be distinctive without it needing to get all meshed up and being meaningful because you don't need meaning in what in names often it's actually really bad from an IP point of view to have meaning in names that just might help initially with a bit of marketing but in the long run 
it doesn't help to have, say, a meaningful name. And I'm not sure about logos, to what extent they're meaningful, but, you know, anyway, that's it, my, it, my so, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but if I may gently challenge oh. some things, mm -hmm. uh, is you're right that EP, IP does need to be secured. And it's similar to the idea that you still have to have a business model that works. No amount yeah, of branding exactly. can turn, you know, something that doesn't work, you know, something that sucks into something that's great. I mean, yeah. it used to be that way. You used to, you used to do that uh, back in the, you know, Mad Men era of advertising, but not anymore. Um, I think that, I think that where the distinction comes in though, rather related to IP and we do some like pre IP work with our clients, especially the clients that are thought leaders and they are developing a methodology or a process. Um, uh, and so where the meaning comes in is it still has to mean something to the founders. Um, the name does, the, the logo does, it has to mean something to them. As soon as we treat it as, I'm not saying you're saying this, but we see this pattern sometimes, especially with tech startups, especially tech startups led by young dudes, is that just come up with a name that makes people pay attention and come up with a logo that we can protect. But when you actually do the work, thinking in terms of a relationship with the with the audience, it you're going to you're going it needs to mean something to you so that there's consistency across the board, mm -hmm. which is why we start at the root of the brand, regardless if it's a hundred year old brand or a one day old brand. We start at the root, which is what do you believe in as an organization? What is what what is your vision for the future of your brand? And what is your mission in the world as an organization? You start there. And then you begin to add color and flavor. Along the way, you need, do need to protect your IP. And so we're not saying you should have some sort of whimsical name that only means something to you or, you know, or a logo that is, you know, um, you know, not good art. You just, you know, you know, it's a logo based off of opinion rather than preference, which is, which is different. We're not saying it's, it's like that. We are saying though that the pieces go together. They are integrated. And here's the, the cool thing about this. They are most integrated on brands that don't make it obvious. Southwest Airlines back to them or um, Filson, a, a, an old a company, 110 year old company that makes luggage. Um, those are, the, the, and there are many others. Lululemon is another example. The, the yoga pants company is um, they, that, that, symphony or harmony between IP visuals and brand is so integrated that you don't really even notice that you just trust it, which is kind of the whole point to, to generate actual legitimate trust with the marketplace. Yeah, no, I, I think names are one of the most important things. And of course, they must have meaning, but often they're chosen by people who don't understand IP. That's so. true. It's how to make sure that the best outcome is yes. is, is got for a yeah. Company. It's a yeah. It's a yes and not an either or. And you're you're spot on. We actually had a client that you know they went with a name that they liked. It did have meaning to them, but then they got a cease and desist from another brand, not even in a similar industry. Yeah. And then here we are coming up with a name, and you know naming is that we could do a whole podcast episode on naming cool. because it's such yeah. a you know, it's, it, there's more pressure on naming your brand than naming your kid, yeah, <laughs> you know, <there> <laughs> so. There is for sure, yes. 
So yeah, I'm I'm just trying to understand how how you actually then once you've worked out how you want to be associated in people's minds, how you make sure that you're achieving that. Do you measure it? And how do you then promote the brand on an ongoing basis to make sure that whatever beliefs the founders have and what they want to achieve is hitting the customer in terms of the mental associations that customers have? Yeah, we are strong. We're big fans of surveying um, and talking to your customer, um, qualitative research, just just having those conversations um, or sending um, surveys at key inflection points in your process and your service or throughout the, the product acquisition process and listening also in the marketplace for how the adoption of your language is integrated into your audiences, talking about the brand on social media or even referrals into the company is another great way to track it. We also look at customer acquisition costs with a strong brand that has consistent messaging, your customer acquisition costs will decrease because you will be getting more referrals. Mm. Um, and really word of mouth is the most powerful way mm. to brand and to grow your business. And so we really hone in on the words of mouth. So the work that we do is very conversational mm -hmm. so that everyone in the organization is empowered to use those words. And then as the market adopts that language, that's a validation of the strength of the brand and how it is carrying forward. Um, and so those are the methods that we recommend that our clients. So who needs to be aware of the brand? Is it, how do you measure how much awareness a brand has? Do you mean internally who needs that data or so externally? Who, how do you work out whether people are sufficiently aware of a brand? Yeah, we don't really direct recommend directly measuring brand awareness because brand awareness is, it's a bit flimsy as a data point. Again, there's people that have heard of in the United States of Kmart and they're bankrupt, you know, or Blockbuster Video. Like, no, aware, brand awareness is like the minimum level of requirement. Sure. Um, so, so what we're looking for though is more, um, it's more financial than that, which is the surest indicator of a healthy brand is profitability. And yeah. so we're not, I mean, this is why we say we're, we're not branding people that don't understand, that don't, that you really don't understand yeah. business. We're business people that understand branding. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is, but, but to your point that you there needs to be some accountability related to the investment and brand. And what we are encouraging people, leaders to do, especially CMOs, is don't, don't hitch your wagon to the fickle beast that is brand awareness. Um, you, it needs to be deeper than that. And so there's things like media mentions. That's a, a thing. Social media traffic, organic search, um, time on site. How much time does somebody spend on your website? All of that though, if you look at your financial numbers and you're growing, it's because your brand is healthy. I don't know that it's ever possible to have a really healthy brand and have an unhealthy business model for sure. very long. So do you work with people on an ongoing basis? And if so, what do you do for them on an ongoing? Yes, yeah, so we help um, them roll out the brand. And then we also work with them to teach members of the culture of the team to use the brand language. Um, we hold workshops on storytelling, 
And then we also advise in a fractional CMO capacity where we're coming in and we um, continue to advise on strategy, shifts in the market, changes in the business model, how do we position um, and how do we roll out new products that are still in alignment with the, the original brand. Um, and we act as, as advisors at that point. Mm -hmm. So you're effectively helping them to manage their brand as well on an ongoing basis. Yes, and make sure that it's healthy. It's continuing to not just be the job of one or two people. So we believe branding is really a practice of everyone who is part of the brand. So we do our best to try to encourage our clients to give give people the opportunity to engage in that in that branding and raise the brand intelligence of the overall organization. And our, our work, uh, Shereen, is somewhat, quite a bit dependent on the maturity of the organization too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some clients, they've had a, a couple of years of growth. Maybe they've got like a, a marketing director who has a web person on the side, you know, you know, as a contractor, you know, they, so they have, they've been doing work, but they don't have the sophisticated infrastructure um, or it's someone that wants to be a CMO but doesn't have the leadership chops yet so that's that's kind of one end of maturity the other is a veteran CMO who just wants support with people that understand business and strategy they're they're exhausted of talking to agencies that are all about agencies have a tendency to be very tactically oriented very budget oriented yeah. our view is let's use the tactics that work and let's spend as little money as possible on those tactics. So are you on a retainer or do you? Yeah, we're typically on a retainer. For a brand that has an established CMO, we're typically on a, a, a 18 month to two year retainer. Um, and that goes through a continuum of what we call the brand continuum of establish the strategy, mm -hmm. integrate the brand into the infrastructure mm -hmm. and then create amplification. And that, that sequencing, you know, it, it can, it really starts at about six months after the strategy is implemented because you have to get all the pieces in place. And then it's about momentum and um, it's about uh, creating um, the flywheel um, that ultimately the goal is, as Em said earlier, is to create word of mouth. That's the holy grail to us. If you can generate word of mouth at a high enough level, which reduces your need for advertising, mm. because as my as a friend of mine says, advertising is the price you pay for being boring. If you can reduce your load or reliance on advertising, be it digital or print TV, what does it matter? And that word of mouth is an integrated part of your strategy. That's a huge win. That's a yeah. huge win for an organization. So that's the thing about is it partnerships or what, what do you go after for people to have that word of mouth? It's partnerships? No, we really pursue the things we've been speaking about, storytelling, consistency of message, creativity when it comes media. to storytelling. Yeah. Um, yeah, blog content, newsletters wow. still perform very well, consistency uh, and video content as well. Okay. Um, wow. So that, that's where we would, that's where we would encourage. That's interesting. You write people's emails for them as well, or just advise strategically. Yeah, that we would bring in one of our strategic partners to 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 work with our client um, on the content if that's something they need. Usually with the CMO, they might have someone on staff. So we we coach that person and we work with them directly to infuse more of the brand language into the content that they're already producing. OK, great. OK, well, just wrapping up now. Um, Root and River, that's a very unusual name. How did you come up with that? 
I thought you might ask that. <laughs> I'm very interested in names, yeah. Yes, yes, I gathered that. Um, so we wanted our name to reflect our, our philosophy, which is intrinsic branding, as we've mentioned. So we knew we wanted it to be something organic and something that um, really anchors and comes from within. So we sat down together and we're just sort of in that, trying to get into that creative flow state and came up with the root part of it first. Mm -hmm. And then our whole approach is that it doesn't really matter if you're rooted unless you can go tell that story to the world in a very compelling way. So yeah. we knew we needed another piece and then we, we came upon River and that's really how we want brands to just kind of flow out into the world but be rooted in, in a core truth. Yeah, that's very creative because it doesn't describe at all what... Yeah you know, you're about and yeah, very good. It, it describes who we are, you'll see the-, the To the, yourselves, but yeah, externally it doesn't. But there's a feeling to it, it, does, it matches us. That's a yeah. common thing. It's like, oh, that's a cool name that fits you guys. We get that a lot, even though they don't necessarily know what it means. Mm -hmm. There's some other little subtlety in here just because we're all name nerd, naming nerds. So um, one is, is that it was important for both of us uh, about equality between us that it wasn't going to be Secorsi Foster, Foster Secorsi, you know, you know, branding strategy. It was yeah. going to be something that was balanced between the two of us. And then the second part of that is that when you can take something and you put two words that don't normally go together, it breaks the brain's pattern recognition um, machine because uh -huh. root and river don't typically go together, but they're alliterative. So the brain goes, now what's that? Yeah. Like, so they pause and we sometimes just simply say, like, if somebody were to ask us in a, you know, in, 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 in more of a casual way, you know, what's that mean? Well, root is where your brand starts and river is how it flows out into the world. But it's no pun intended. It's deeper than that. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So what um, do you, are there any books you would recommend people read who are trying to create their uh, brand apart from your own? Um, oh. <laughs> Well, it's Root Up, isn't it, your book? Rooting Up, yes, Essays on yeah. Modern Branding. Yes, I think we would, um, I would definitely recommend that people read Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Okay. Uh, that's a great, that's a great place yeah, to begin to understand the mind of, 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 the hu of human beings as they consume brands and ideas. And I would recommend they read a book called The New Power. Uh, and it's about the... The, sh the dynamics that are causing this massive shift um, in capitalism to being more humanistic in its approach. And this is a thing where there's going, there's already a growing gap between uh, brands that are still holding on to old models and old hierarchies and old institutional ways of doing things. And these new brands that are rising up and um, being more socially conscious, being more um, deliberately inclusive, um, taking a stand um, on things that brands didn't used to take stands on, stuff like that. And so, the new power is the name of the book. The author's two authors, and it's it is uh, it's a great book. Um, the other one is um, pl uh, Play Bigger, and yes, Play Bigger is yeah. Yeah, a wonderful book on category design, um, kind of our our bible for category design from from Chris and the rest of the authors. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed for appearing on the podcast. Thank you for having us. We enjoyed it. That's Bye. fine. Great questions, by the way, Shireen. Thank you for 
Thank stimulating you. questions. That was Thank excellent. You.